Hello, and welcome to EMS Research with Professor Bram, where we talk about the research-related issues that matter to those who work in emergency medical services. Today, we'll be talking about performing remote medicine. Welcome to the EMS Research Vlog and Podcast from the studio here in Houston, Texas. I'm your host, Bram Duffy. I'm a full-time paramedic on the street, like many of you. I also have an appointment as a research fellow with the Institute for Social Innovation at Fielding Graduate University, and I'm an assistant professor of communication at Kennesaw State University. I actually have a research study open now for first responders, so if you don't mind being interviewed by me, then go to my website and check it out, www.professorbram.com. It's professorbram.com. You just click on the current research tab to apply. The other thing to share before we get started, I have written two different books on communication. And the most recent book was just released called Hypnotic Communication in Emergency Medical Settings for Life-Saving and Therapeutic Outcomes. You can find a link to the book below. Also, for sure, hang out to the end and I'll tell you more about it. I'm excited today to introduce Abrick O'Kelly from the College of Remote and Offshore Medicine Foundation. And there's a lot to say about him. You know, he has a great background history to learn about. He served with distinction as a Green Beret in the U.S. Army. He has a wilderness psychologist, and he's also a board-certified critical care paramedic. He's made significant contributions to academia as well as being the founder and dean of the College of Remote and Offshore Medicine Foundation. He's been instrumental in shaping the medical landscape in remote and offshore environments. And in addition, his insights are highly valued at the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh, where he serves as an interim faculty advisory board member. He completed a diploma in tropical nursing at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, and that's part of the University of London. And all this really cool, diverse, rich blend of experiences position him to be able to talk to us about things like critical care, wilderness psychology, tropical medicine. So can I just say welcome and tell us about yourself? Did I miss anything? Hi, Bram. Uh, no, you got you got all the main points anyway. Uh, I appreciate being a guest on your on your show. So how did you get interested in wilderness medicine? Well, it started in, in the Green Berets, of course. We were doing lots of austere uh, medical things and, and deployments. And then when I got out, it was just an automatic transition into the civilian world. So the Wilderness Medical Society was something I jumped on quite quickly. And I'm a fellow uh, with uh, with the WMS. And then uh, because I married a local here in, in, in Europe, I've, I've immigrated. I've been here about 20 years on this side of the pond and decided to hit the ground running. So because there wasn't much available academically here, I created it uh, with the college. Okay, so... There's so much to say about the college, and can I just give you some time? Just talk. Just tell us about it, because it's exciting what you all do and um, what else going on. So, yeah, the, the college is a, is a not-for-profit, and when I decided to launch this, it was only going to work as a not-for-profit and academic a, academia. So we have gone through the EU system to become degree-granting. That took that took three years of arduous paperwork and difficulties, but we got it. And now we have a doctor of health studies. We've got a master's of austere critical care and a bachelor's of, of remote paramedic. And, and the push is to, to just get academic backed 
training, academic back evidence-based medicine for those working in austere environments, such as Medicine Sans Frontiers or ICRC or the oil rigs. We got graduates working in on, on rigs and, and, and offshore. So we needed academia for that. And, and I created it. Well, tell us how your school set up because some of it's remote and some of it is um, online and so, so right. Tell, how, how does this all work for someone that wants to go to school there? Right. So before COVID, we had set this up as mainly an online blended learning. And then COVID happened and everyone jumped on board and made it easier for us to do this. So about 90% of our programs are online, run by MD, PhDs and, and masters and doctoral level paramedics. And then the hands-on are in Malta. We have uh, placements in Tanzania and Ghana. We had them in, in Ukraine before something happened. We'll get them back. But we're, we're basically getting people the, the training they need to practice medicine in austere environments and then putting them in that environment, but yet in, in a safe uh, and evidence-based way. So I've, I've been all over Africa, all over Asia, looking for clinical sites that meet the requirement of evidence-based medicine whilst being in austere. And I found uh, KCMC, KCMC, which is Kilimanjaro Christian Medical Center in the base of Kilimanjaro. And they are fantastic as a, a district hospital attached to medical school and practice evidence-based medicine. And, and that's paramount in academia, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I have the college's information in the links so that folks can check it out. And, you know, with your background, it makes a lot of sense that people would hear from you in, um, in writing. And I found your article here and I wanted to talk about the uh, article called prolonged field care, um, austere emergency care principles in UK paramedic practice. And this was in the journal of paramedic practice. And you um, mentioned a, a, a couple of cool things that I had not uh, gotten myself familiar with, like the sheep vomit and Hitman. And so um, can you tell us more about uh, some of the ways that um, you're approaching this? So it's not just me. So the, the whole concept of prolonged field care has been around for ages. I was teaching the battles course, the battlefield events, trauma life support for the MOD. And so at 2009, I started there and they're already doing it. And, and they nicked that from the SAS. So the, the concept of, of prolonged field care based on Hitman mnemonic is 13, 14 years old. And then to top that at the Special Operations Medical Associations Conference, which every every May, a bunch of us get together, about 1,200 of us and have the, the, the conference there in, in North Carolina. And in 2013, a bunch of people got into a room and started discussing the need to relearn prolonged field care. So in special forces in the eighties and nineties, we did this. We didn't have the magic 20 minute medical evacuation to Camp Bastion, which was the number one, the best trauma hospital on the planet was, was Camp Bastion. So everyone relied on that for 20 years. People were just having their casualties being seen in 10, 10 to 20 minutes. Brilliant. That is the, the best option available for military. But as it was winding down, a bunch of us SF guys got together and, and realized we need to reinvent this, that uh, that prolonged care is going to be needed for conflicts. And, and we're seeing them now in eastern Ukraine. And I would say in, in, in Israel at the moment, there is profound examples of prolonged care. So between the Special Operations Medical Association and and 
the, the, the Hitman mnemonic coming from this side of the pond, it all coalesced into the prolonged field care working group, which it was uh, under the Special Operations Medical Association and now is under a civilian nonprofit called SMS, which is Specialized Medical Standards, started by Sean Keenan, Dr. Sean Keenan, who was part of the original group. And I'm on, I'm on the board with SMS. So we're trying to push the concepts that we learned in the military to the civilian market, which is why uh, Tom Mallinson and I published this, this latest um, article. Okay, so... With wilderness training, getting more and more familiar with, um, like, there's just more and more out there. And I think that some of it is coming from your camp, you know, like, and so shed for us more light on what kinds of programs are there out there already and what makes yours different? Well, the short answer is academia. So there are tons of organizations out there doing well, tactical medicine is the is the yeah. magic button. Everyone wants to do the TCCC course and shoot guns and and do all these amazing things, which are cool guy stuff. But that's not what we're focusing on. We're focusing on the advanced medical skills based on academia. So there's tons of organizations that give uh, remote EMT, remote paramedic training, but we're the main ones that are academic only based. So everything we do from the EMT all the way up to the doctor in health studies is all academic based. Okay. Well, what are some crucial takeaways for first responders that maybe don't have any background in wilderness medicine that come into one of your programs? Like what are some, uh, what are some big things that they learn that are, that, uh, that we could talk about? So the difference between a city-based paramedic in the U S and our first year of our bachelor's remote paramedic practice is the, the, the basic concepts are the same. Paramedic is paramedic. And in year two, they, then they upgraded the critical care paramedic. But for year one, just the basic NREMT paramedic is the same. It's, it's 800 hours, I think, for, for NR, NRP, and ours is 1,500 hours. And in that extra time, they're learning to do these skills at, at evidence-based skills, but without a lot of kit and without a lot of support. So when I worked as a critical care paramedic in the States with out of, out of a box, out of an ambulance, I had tons of stuff, didn't I? And, and, and within 20 minutes, I, I then uh, tossed this, this hopefully stable casualty into the A&E department or ER department, and that's it. Well, we're teaching people to deal with this critical casualty for ages and be able to do telemedicine to a grown-up, to somebody with a bunch of initials after their name, to, to run the ca casualties... Uh, scenario by by them and 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 get advice for from a nephrologist for somebody that had kidney injury or and 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 telemedicine really isn't part of the basic concepts of city-based paramedicine and and then the the prolonged field care everything is part of prolonged field care for us because even at the the emt level from day one they're like oh great you stabilized the casualty now what let's let's get telemedicine out or let's get the protocols out on Dealing, sitting on this casualty whilst you're waiting for a four by four in the middle of Namibia to come and collect your casualty. Just knowing that there's no imaging and there's no labs. So that this is like one of those environments. What are some of the lessons that 
I would walk into it in uh, a program like this that I definitely would not, I guess, malaria, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, it sounds like I'm joking, but these are not things that I see. So yeah, tropical diseases is is a big part of this. Malaria, uh, dengue, dengue outbreak is, is currently happening in, in the States. And uh, ultrasound is is paramount. So even at the EMT level, we're teaching ultrasound, EFAST exams. So there is a possibility to have labs. There's EPOC. EPOC doesn't, it's a, it's a blood gas analysis machine that doesn't require a, a refrigeration. So I've used uh, iStat for ages and the cartridges are, uh, well, it's problematic anyway. So there, and there's also other options for us to get labs. So the Duke's method of, of clotting factor by poking the ear, uh, the WHO has options on anemia by just looking at the color of the blood and we have we teach improvised hermetocrit so you get a hypermized capillary tube and you put it in the, a round paper centrifuge and you spin it 4500 times and you get your act you get your your hermetocrit from nothing so labs are a big part of what we teach and and i think ultrasound is is the game changer because we can find tons of things on on the casualties of uh, stability and, and injuries using ultrasound. Yeah. And one of the things you find is if they're bleeding or not, and that's the scary time because they know you need to have them in surgery and you don't. Right. So, yeah. Well, and, and resource is, is, I mean, they need, if red stuff comes out of the body, they need red stuff. But what, what if you don't have red stuff? So we talk about rehydration where, where ORS or, or oral rehydration is enough to, stabilize a, a traumatic casualty if you're doing this in a prolonged environment one of the things that the article alluded to at the start was the fact that prolonged ca casualty care is more important now than ever because even folks who are in the city environments are stuck in their ambulances not able to get into the hospital through traffic or through er's that are backed up so how do you see these worlds merging Prolonged care is prolonged care regardless of where you are. Th think about a disaster where you could literally see the hospital. You could wave to the trauma surgeon, but because of flooding or something, you can't reach that. You're in prolonged care. With with the UK, there's an eight-hour back common uh, eight-hour backup from a, a box, an ambulance being in the car park, waiting for a bed to open up, and they they can't offload this casualty, and and they can't. I mean, a doc can come in every couple hours and poke their head in the back of the box but that's you're you're stuck with this this casual casualty of kidney failure so you you need to to deal with that yeah well and speaking of dealing with that um can you tell us more about the the sheep vomit uh yeah <laughs> so, tell me um, about that that's the that, that stands for tell me tell me uh, tell me like what your what it accomplishes. I'm looking for my notes to see, but I don't. I just have glaring in my notes here <laughs> the the sheet about the uh, sheet vomit. So yeah. So what happened was uh, another special forces medic friend of mine. We were stationed together in Seattle. I got him to come over to the the EU for for a year, and we were sitting in in Pretty Bay, Malta, where our our main classroom is, and we were trying to come up with a mnemonic for the nursing care. So Hitman and and is nursing. So uh, everyone focuses on stabilizing the casualty. And because we're not nurses, we're not trained as nurses. We don't think as nurses. We would be better if we did, but we don't. The paramedics need to 
relearn the nursing skills. So what we did is we went through the nursing check, uh, checklists and, and the textbooks, found all of the key skills and, and modal, uh, modalities that are needed for a prolonged care. And we boiled them down to, to a mnemonic. And Jason, Jason was the one that came up with, with sheet vomit. I was coming up with some other ones that were probably inappropriate and I cannot confirm or deny if um, um, some pints were involved towards the end of that. But we, we, we decided that sheet vomit was going to be something that people will remember. And then we published it. It's in our field guide. And it's, it was taught to NATO. We, we taught on the NATO course for Welltel COVID um, for their special operations medicine uh, course in, in, in Fullendorf, Germany. So it's out. So I'm now seeing sheet vomit showing up all over the place that we weren't even uh, there. But it, what we're trying to do is talk about nursing skills. So sheet vomit is uh, skin protection. So skin is like keeping um, uh, sun out of the uh, skin uh, moist or keep, keep the uh, sunscreen on or kind of keep it dry. H is um, hypo and hyperthermia management. E is elevating the head. Lots of research showing that all casualties need to be uh, elevate the head. TBI is one that's obvious. E is exercises. E is elevating the uh, elevating sorry elevating the head. The second E is exercises. P is pressure relief, and that's the sheep. Vomit is vital signs and trending. And and I guess if you have to nail down all the differences in austere medicine and city-based medicine it comes down to three things and trending is one of them and, and I, I call it mutt m-u-t so uh th three things that really you need to focus on on austere care as mean arterial pressure urine output and trending those those three things so mean arterial pressure we, we don't focus on systolic or diastolic it's map of 65 or more urine output is 30 mils an hour or 0.5 mil per kilo per hour and if you have those two, you have a hemodynamic casualty. If you don't have those two, you're failing, you're losing cool points and you need to do something to fix it. And then T for trending is, is looking at a longitudinal uh, view of your casualty. So if I have a map of 65, I'm happy. But if I have a map of 65 three hours from now, something's severely wrong. So under V and vomit, uh, the vital signs are really important for trending. So O is uh, oral hygiene. Uh, the, the bacteria that causes pneumonia is in your teeth. So if you don't brush your teeth morning and night, you're going to start inhaling or swallowing uh, more of that bacteria. And the psychological, I mean, I, wilderness psychology background, everything is about getting the patient at least comfortable. Everyone likes brushing their teeth morning and night. So it, there's, there's advantages of that. M is a massage for like DVT. If, if you have a critical casualty for eight hours in a car park of Hereford in the UK, and even though you can literally see the A&E department, they're going to have a, a, a risk of DVT. So you need to massage and, and, and keep them active a bit. Ins and outs, let's make sure that you have uh, nutrition coming in and you're measuring everything that comes out. Um, and then T is turn, cough, breathe. Um, you, when you get up in the morning, the first thing you do, and, and no one really notices this, you kind of caught, you stretch a bit and you cough because your body has, and your cilia has pushed all sorts of stuff up towards the throat. And when you're laying down, you, you, you're not breathing in deeply. You're not getting that, that, um, 
indication to cough. So we forget about that. If they're laying on the back and maybe they have diazepam or lorazepam or something makes them quiet because we all like quiet patients, don't we? Or ketamine or something like that. But we got to remember that they need to exercise those lungs and get to get things out. So those are the main points that we've come up with. And so far it's been, it's been used in um, austere locations for like boy, eight years now. And we've had good feedback and we need to do some more publications on this. Well, I want to ask you about more of your publications, but the thing that kind of hit me the most that I think that I can be doing every day in the city is just paying more attention, especially the pressure elements, because not a thing that we transport these folks on is ever comfortable. It's made for CPR. And I guess, you know, it's easy to get their butt glued to the plastic of the seat of, you know, whatever we have them in, because of course we have them in seat belts. So they're staying in the same position, not able to even shift. And so commonly, I don't think about shifting someone unless they're pregnant. This is a really good reminder. And I have bells going off in my head about the concern for moisture in these situations too, right? For skin breakdown and Yep. So all these things are really awesome that you addressed, but tell me more about what publications that you have going on because we have to end soon. And I want to be able to give you a chance to talk about what you're up to. I have other publications in, in tropical medicine as well in, in the journal of international paramedic practice. And then every Wednesday I'm putting out a article on LinkedIn, which I guess counts as publication, but it's not peer review. So trying to, trying to, push the envelope of academic medicine. And uh, Tom Allison, Dr. Tom Allison and I are also looking at a follow-on publication of the this prolonged field care. And that would also be on the Journal of Paramedic Practice. Okay, so, so much good stuff. I wanna just encourage everyone out there to uh, check you out at the website and also the contact stuff that I'll have at the links below. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've had a lot of fun and learning and thinking more about this area because I'm literally in the city. <laughs> and so a lot of us uh, don't get to make these cross comparisons very often. So it was great to have you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I want to also invite you to check out my latest book I co-authored with Four Arrows, who has two doctorates and is an expert on indigenous scholarship and hypnosis. So I just want to invite you to check it out because we introduce a method for communicating with patients on the scene of an emergency that takes advantage of some of the properties found in hypnosis. This book works to change the way we approach and interact with any kind of emergency patient in acute distress because it's going to help you be a better practitioner and use communication as a healing tool. Right now, there's just not a lot of training in how to talk to your patient. And if you've been stuck with a patient for any period of time and, and you need to have a conversation, it's awesome to be able to have have a healing conversation. This book is called Hypnotic Communication in Emergency Medical Settings for Life-Saving and Therapeutic Outcomes. You can follow the link below to find it, or you can find it literally almost anywhere you type in the name or my name. I had a friend that mailed me a book and wanted an autograph. Don't mail me a bunch of books. Just let me know that you want an autograph for the book, and I'll be happy to send you over a sticker. I have some stickers made that are pretty awesome that I'll send you that you could put in the cover. Hi. I'm Will Shaplow from the International Pre-Hospital Medicine Institute. You might know about us because of the literature reviews that we post every month free to, for your review on our website at iphmi.com and also published through GEMS Online Magazine every month. We've been doing them for five years, so now we've accumulated over 240 literature reviews over the past five years. And we've gotten feedback from our audience that said they'd like to have these things as desk references, so they'd had a rapid reference. Well, we've done it. 
And there are now five volumes of these books, one for each year that we've been publishing them. Uh, this is the latest version, uh, volume five. And as I said, in each of these, there's at least 48 literature reviews. They're all cataloged in the beginning of the book, so you can see um, what the topic area is, what pages those reviews are on, and how you can find them quickly. And again, these are a great reference, whether you're putting a lecture together, uh, working on a paper, uh, studying, whatever it is. This gives you the depth of field of the science that dictates what we do in the field or what we should be doing in the field or why we've changed the way we do things in the field. In any event, as with all of our publications, we've priced these because we want you to be able to have this book. It's only $4.99 in the written, in the copy, the hard copy here, and they're all five of them are available at that price, but you can also get them as eBooks, and they're available as eBooks from Amazon, from uh, Apple, from Barnes & Noble, wherever you get, you get your eBooks for the price of $2.99. So again, we don't do this um, with an aim towards getting wealthy. We do these because we want you guys to be able to have these materials. Relevant information, affordable information, and an access so you can get to it. So you want the hard copies, go on Amazon, $4.99, go to your ebook store and you get it for $2.99. If you're in the business, this is the kind of material you want to have around to settle those firehouse arguments or to help you put your materials together. Thanks again. See you all soon. Thanks. The other thing before we close that I want to share is that I'm doing a research project related to first responders who live in the United States. And I could really use your help if you don't mind being interviewed over a video call. So go to my website, fill out the form that's at professorbram.com, professorbram.com. And thank you again for listening. I look forward to sharing more insights with you in this next episode. If you enjoy EMS research, please tell your friends, like, share, and subscribe to help others get the message. And then stay tuned for the credits at the end so you can see the research articles that we talked about in today's episode.